0: inaugural episode of the unofficial soundtrack podcast and essentially what we plan on doing is trying to mirror a great horror film with an awesome metal album and maybe as we go down the road maybe find some not so great films to match it with not so great metal albums
1: but you know what maybe the one person's not so great is another person's absolutely fucking golden
0: yeah that is true and that's what we're here right should be a lot of fun uh, so I'm here. My name is Austin. Uh, I'm going to play kind of host because I'm not as well versed in uh, horror movies and the metal genre as a whole. So I have uh, two great friends here. One is actually my brother, uh, Stez, who is a film connoisseur. And, uh, and Zach here, who's in essentially a metal head. And I'll let them introduce themselves. They just introduced us. So. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm a head of metal. And
2: I'm a connoisseur of film. <laughs> but I'm, I'm Zach. <laughs>
1: I'll give you the real rundown. Uh, I've been listening to metal really. Uh, the first time I remember being exposed to it was like as a kid when I was probably around seven, and I remember distinctly going to my dad's friend's house and meeting his friend's kid, and this this kid was just like, "Hey, you want to come hang in my room?" I'm like, "Okay, sure." I'm seven. And so I go in there and he like immediately turns off the lights and puts on corn or Slipknot or some shit. And just kind of looking around the room being like, this is scary. And here's this. I think his name was Jim Bob, too, which makes it that much better because I'm from Texas. And of course, his name's fucking Jim Bob. But yeah, Jim Bob's just staring at me fucking like headbanging along. And so that was my introduction to metal, and it got better from there, believe it or not. Hmm. But um, I do a radio show outside of this that's heavy music based, and a lot of my free time is spent listening to to metal and heavy music as a whole. So I'm looking forward to talking about it extensively.
0: That's right,
2: man. I've had a very interesting relationship with horror movies, because when I was a kid, I was a... Giant pussy, and I would have giant. that would it would just scar me. Simple movies like The Mummy, like with Brandon Fraser, yeah, not even a horror movie, it scared the shit out of me as a kid. Like the just or simple like, s- Temple of Doom or oh, something. Yes, like exactly that. stuff like that. But one I remember watching. I don't even know if it was our dad who showed it to us. I just remember watching it very young. Was The Exorcist. What? yeah, uh, that's yeah. what, It was very, I don't know who showed it to me, but yeah, that fuck, that fucked me up. That'll still fuck you up.
1: Yeah. I mean, <laughs> even like to be fair, yeah. like the the heart-ripping scene from Temple of Dam still fucks a lot of people up regardless that of it. true.
0: You know what scared me as a kid? Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> that was another one that scared me as a kid. Well, I, watched <laughs> when I was 7 and, I, and I, I remember just having nightmares about being swallowed by this giant snake.
1: You was, know what scared so me as a kid? Was... The lost world jurassic park <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyways before we get into our first episode i wanted to uh introduce our sponsor squarespace <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs>
2: whiskey and mexican beer <laughs> oh i wasn't finished with my but oh shit sorry my no no, no it's just that as i got older and more i appreciated the horror like more you get into film i think you kind of like at least filmmaking the mm-hmm. aspect of it you kind of appreciate horror because so so much of it requires creativity and just like ingenuity and it, it just so much of it is is so just practical and is, you know like so when you look at the filmmaking aspect of it i think like horror it generally draws a lot of people in that's kind of what they do like a lot of filmmakers their first movies are like horror movies or mm-hmm. you know yeah. I think that's also what got me over horror movies why I'm not scared of them anymore. Mm. It's just once you got behind it, like oh how they make it it's just like oh it's a movie. Mm. And you you just stop like freaking out about like oh is Freddy Krueger going to come haunt me in the dreams because you realize he's played by, you know, whatever his, I can't remember his name is right now. But then you know it's directed by Wes Craven and all that, and you just kind of like oh it's not real. It's almost
1: know. like a litmus test. It is. Yeah, at some I'm point. Great. And metal is like this too. Like a lot of people still associate any type of metal these days with like screamo, right? Like,
2: or right. like new metal.
1: Like, oh, you like <laughs> you like metal? Are you, so are you into like Limp Biscuit or oh my god or Nickelback?
0: No, not quite. Mm-hmm. So before we get into our first uh, topic, just wanted to really dive into the to the genres, right? So I know we had some great discussion already, but why don't we just dive into what what makes metal and horror just so unique and so interesting for, for the two of you? Metal is super interesting. And like you were saying, there's a very strange connotation to a lot of people out there with what metal is. What I've also noticed, too, is that it's almost like innate in a, in a way. Like some people just kind of get it and then some mm. people don't. And there's yeah. a lot of people out there that are even metalheads. They might be super, super into hip hop. and they're The first time they listen to metal, just because they've never had an exposure, they realize that, oh shit, this is... It's yeah, cool, man. Yeah, it's just totally like my a, vibe.
1: there's definitely like a Venn diagram where there's a huge midsection between metal heads and hip-hop heads. Mm-hmm. Um because it kind of like scratches that itch for certain people. And yeah, with metal, like like you were saying, it's almost like a genetic trait for some people. You know? Yeah. Sometimes you like this was it for me too. Like the first time I really heard metal. Other than fucking (laughs) slipknot and corn. But I remember the first time I heard Iron Maiden. I was was in middle school and immediately I knew that this was the type of music for me. Um, Mm. Just because it, you can kind of tell that people put a lot into it. And not that like other musicians and other genres don't put a lot into Mm. their music too, but the people, a lot of metalheads and metal musicians really like use it as their outlet. Mm. and um there's a reason that metalhead is a term it kind of like it brings out a, a lot of the personality in these particular metal heads mm. like it can be a very identity driven thing for a lot of people mm. and um just because number one the musicianship a lot of the time is top notch which also makes the songwriting have to match that too And just like the sheer volume and noise of it is generally a lot louder than other types of music as a whole. And like with horror, you know, it also ramps things up, Mm -hmm. which can draw a lot of people away, but also bring a lot of people towards it as well. So um, it's a really interesting unifying thing. And it's really empowering for a lot of people, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I know when I hear a lot of metal... Even if it's super dark and bleak and nihilistic, just hearing that it really ramps me up and empowers me to try to be my best person or like express the sides of myself that I don't necessarily bring out a lot of the time. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. I, I appreciate you you saying like what drew you into it because looking back at when I got in the middle and, and how a little bit different, right? Like I was classically trained, uh, like most Asian kids, you know, you learn how to play piano when you're like four and you learn how to do other stuff. Right. And I was in, I was in bands and all this kind of stuff, playing saxophone or you, whatever. You
2: were, you were in band. <laughs> get that straight. Bands, well, later on, bands. later on, you were in band. I, mean, I meant like
0: middle school band, high <laughs> school band, and jazz band. But anyway, Symphonic in concert too right. there's, there's a clear difference. when you say I was in
2: bands, and versus I was in band.
0: <laughs> That's totally true. That's fair. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So like being somebody that was into the technical side of music, you know, like listening to pop music, even even some rock. Um, you know, there's totally a lot of skill and a lot of creativity and artistry that goes into a lot of other genres. But from a technical side, there's not too many that are, you know, um, if you're a technically trained musician that kind of wow you besides maybe jazz mm-hmm. and and really metal, right? And and that's kind of what drew me in was the first first album that I heard somebody wailing on a guitar. I'm like, holy crap, that's fucking impossible how is that even like who has a dexterity in their finger to do all of that right that's kind of what drew me in and then listening to um i think the first metal band i listened to was like unearth or like one of the heavier rise against albums where they were going from um, kind of the punk scene to more the, the heavier uh scene and and, you know, with Teenage Angst, you kind of throw all that in. You're like, yeah. fuck yeah, dude. Like, <laughs> like that's exactly what you're looking for. It's like it's technical. It's hard. But it's also super just emotional and raw. And it was just, it's such a visceral experience when you listen to it mm. that uh, I think a lot of guys, just a lot of people get into. But uh, it is interesting that there are just some people that even if they're really, really technical and they love music and they appreciate the qualities of metal, they just will never get into it. You know, like our friend Cameron, he totally gets metal. He totally understands why people like it and he appreciates it. Not just not a fan. Right. Yeah. It's really, really interesting.
1: A lot of the vocals, you know, some people really cannot get over the harsh vocals of metal Mm. too, which I understand. Like when I first started getting into metal, I only listened to like Iron Maiden, Jewish priests, Metallica, Megadeth where the people are singing to an extent. But yeah. like then I started getting into even bands like fucking Killswitch Engage yeah, or, yeah, like, yeah, the exactly. name like, of God or something. Exactly. <laughs> and and every I time I die and all this, yeah. like,
0: some, some band with, like, the word death in it, right? Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, so, it's, you know, people's tastes change over time, too. But, yeah, all, you sure. know, a lot of times people just can't get over it, the one thing.
0: And, and I don't know if it's now... Because the the scenes changed, or if it's because we we're like also changing in our tastes, but I you know is there a resurgence or or not a resurgence, but is there a a rise in the non vocal metal scene? Because that's super popular now, right? Like yeah, tons of bands just you know what? like oh yeah, the harsh vocals, I'm not really into it, yeah, or uh, people aren't really into it, so let's just not bring that in and just just wail on our instruments. Yeah,
1: I mean for. Uh, do you know cloud kicker yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, so i mean there's within metal there's a lot of one-man bands too especially with like black metal uh but also cloud kicker cloud kicker just one guy his music is all instrumental and you know it's it can be a lot easier to just cut out vocals entirely Mm -hmm. and you don't have to have vocals to have a truly like impeccably crafted song yeah yeah. so um it's really interesting to see people move towards that like now especially but it's been people have been moving towards that a lot more probably since like the 2000s Mm
0: -hmm. that's cool man um all right so uh so stez let's let's talk about horror
2: no it's really because listening you talk about like why people like metal is almost the same reason why people like horror it's empowering, right? And one main reason why people watch horror is to get that thrill of like defeating death or the coming Ooh. close to death or right. It's that same thrill seeking f- factor that people go out to do like, you know, like x factor shit, right? Or like extreme sports stuff. It- it- it's that itch to like getting close to death or escaping death, like feeling like you've overcome it or, yeah, or making yeah. it feel like it's not scary. For my point of, for-, for me, it was like conquering your fear yeah. of like, yeah, getting over like yeah. fuck you could die at any moment and yeah. then what horror does is show you the worst possible death <laughs> that you can imagine right or anybody can imagine right like that's why horror is so appealing because it's not just what you fucking think about like how you can die or yeah, yeah, just yeah. driving you to go on you not work. gonna
1: get like thrown into a meat grinder hopefully
2: right but here imagined. comes the scenario where you might fucking get thrown <laughs> in a meat grinder so like and part of that is, like, the empowerment, but also, like, I talked about earlier, the technicality aspect of it, which is very similar of, like, that draws people in of, like, when you see the thing, when you're it to John Carpenter, yeah. like, you're like, oh, how the fuck does he yeah. do this stuff? Like... That's super cool. Yeah, yeah. just, Everything like... Everything about
1: it, like, the practical effects, the music, mm-hmm. that just the way the story moves, like, not knowing how much time is elapsed exactly. between scenes. Mm-hmm. Just
2: and what is actually, like, intentional, like, them yeah. all wearing parkas, it's like, are we supposed to not know who's who under who, you know? Like, the yeah, whole, yeah, like, that's yeah. like, is that part of the theme, or is that just, like, the actors being like, no, it's fucking too cold, and they're like, yeah. we're not going to reveal our
0: faces. So, so, going back to what you said earlier, mm-hmm. when we were doing the introductions, and you were saying a lot of filmmakers get into filmmaking through horror, right? Yes. So, you, we could probably list four or five directors oh, right off the bat, right? Peter Jackson, I think, is one, like, there's yeah, tons yeah. of directors mm-hmm. that started with a horror movie, and then progressed in a career and I'm the artist in mean, yeah 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 for sure you so what exactly. guys why do you think that's the case like what why do you think that's common i guess like a common way for people to get into the industry is it because that's the industry that that has the most flexibility with their with their budget or with with hiring people that are a little unknown or like what what makes it so like easy for i guess easier because it's definitely not easy but it's easier to get it's in. just the
2: creative aspect of it like i said like everything exactly. about it because usually the first or not it's not necessarily the first film like like Jar carpenter like well dark, yeah, star, dark star and but like halloween is what everyone considers like right. his first action he film. did
1: like what like three movies before halloween yeah he's
2: the, yeah exactly he did like a bunch of short and they just were not yeah but like but that's it's like that full like I don't know it's like everything's on firing on full engines you know what I mean like yeah. everything everything is just sparking and they're like I don't know I, I think part of it is like ambition you know like they, they want to show their creativity yeah and so part of it's easier with horror because it's just it's so much easier than because you can work with a smaller budget compared to sci-fi or fantasy where That's you ca- you have to have a big budget unless nowadays you can do it like because they've gotten real right. creative CGI perhaps, you, yeah. or just like um the man from Earth is a low-budget sci- sci-fi movie that I was you guys earlier about a guy who's lived throughout uh, the all of humanity. Oh, yeah. But it just takes place in one room. But it's a sci-fi concept, so there it can, but, like... That's crazy. It's I feel like
1: tough. another thing with horror, too, is it's a lot more accepted for people to be really out there and, like mm-hmm. extra. Like, especially exactly. the actors, too. It's encouraged for them to scream their fucking heads off yeah. for a lot of the characters. Mm-hmm. So... And a lot of cheesy acting is a little is more accepted for horror movies too and sometimes encouraged. Which I think is
2: kind of, that runs parallel to what you're saying about lyrics or like mm-hmm. the singers for um, metal bands, how it yeah. makes them hard to get into. And I think like that cheesy aspect of horror movies, it kind of makes it hard for a lot of people to get into because it's just like, you kind of have to take it like by face. Like this is a horror movie. Yeah. You know, they're going to do stupid decisions, and some stuff aren't mm-hmm. going to make sense. I think a lot of times people just cannot get over that fact. Mm-hmm. Or it's just the fact that, like, oh, it's gory for the sake of gore, yeah. which is like what people say about Carpenter yeah. or um, Raimi
0: or but, you but, know, but, like but they, Romero. But those, I feel like they do it in good taste. There's There are some where it turns into, like, gore porn, like where so- it's just or, it's just bloody just to be bloody. Right, right. right. I mean,
2: that's because we also, we say that now, but back when, we, like, the thing critically at the time was panned. Yeah. Roger Ebert, like, mm. was just, like, he even called it a gore fest. He was, like, teenagers just go to watch this to dare each other to, like, to force each other to watch, each, like, what's going happening on screen. Mm. Like, so, like, there's, like, we, that's also part of the, like, we have this dissociation of it from now. Because who knows, like... Actually, no. It's been like 20 years since Saw movies, and we still don't think call it like a classic. (laughs) But people will argue it it did change cinema. You know, like a horror at least. You know, like it definitely
1: changed. Yeah, I mean, Saw definitely changed something. You had movies like Hostel, and Mm -hmm. I mean, even like Human Centipede. Exactly. I think
2: the whole gore it really created like the what, what do you call it? Not. um Smut films, but like
0: almost like smut, you know, yeah, like yeah, almost yeah. Yeah, where it looks like it. Yeah, and then you get Human Centipede is like the pinnacle of all. Yeah, that it's just like all right, we went too far. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all right, let's get back. The pinnacle good. of crap. Yeah, yeah. I want right. the
2: Germans <laughs> handed the handed. So that's too far. <laughs> all right, so we're gonna take a quick break,
0: and then when we get back, we're gonna get into John Carpenter. All right. So uh, you know we get to get some more beer and whiskey. Now that we kind of talked about why we love metal and why we love horror films, uh, let's talk about you know what we're trying to do with this podcast and why we're starting with John Carpenter, right? Essentially, what we want to do is marry a sound uh, a metal album with a horror film and consider it kind of an unofficial soundtrack deemed by you know us three experts. We yeah, two, ex- three two.
1: getting drunk and <laughs> thinking, "Oh shit, what's a good name for this?" And then having a working title of "unofficial soundtrack." Mm-hmm.
0: Let's be honest: two experts and a layman. Um, <laughs> but that's but, okay. Uh, we, we can mold you. <laughs> exactly. I'm here to learn. It gives me excuses to watch these films and, and mm-hmm. listen to these uh, these albums. You know, so we're trying to mirror uh, to marry these two uh, these two things and and really just get a better appreciation for both genres. You know, when we were really just spitballing ideas uh, last week about what we wanted to do as our first episode, I think we just all kind of unanimously agreed that we have to start with John Carpenter, right? Yeah. So not just from a film aspect, but just the fact that his soundtracks are fucking amazing. Yeah. And he does a lot of the production
1: aspects of Mm -hmm. his films. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Like, not only does he do the directing and a lot of the composing and performance of the music, but... He writes a lot of it. He produces a lot of it. He's in the sound design and the editing Jesus. and everything. So he's he's really one of those like DIY filmmakers. Let's,
0: let's do
2: So there's yeah. one person that we kind of have to talk about other than Carpenter, which I want to get his name right though, because he is the guy who had worked with Carpenter to do everything, starting from after I think it was Halloween Two. It was with. Um, it's Escape from New York, I believe. He started doing it. It's, it's his name is um, Alan Howarth. Alan he, Howarth. Yeah, Howarth. He yeah. Howarth, is He basically did like because yeah. Carpenter has put on uh, like been on record saying like he like he does everything like you're saying, but he even works with the sound department, but he leaves that to Alan because like he just yeah. sound he's a visual person, which I thought was very surprising because a lot of his you know a lot of his movies you associate with the soundtrack. Mm. Right, so I was really shocked by that, but yeah. So a lot of it, he kind of just like you know, he does have a hand in it, like you were saying, saying, because he yeah. writes a lot of the the scores over the themes of it, and then like. But then I think he just hands it off to him because it's yeah. just like
1: because before that, most of his soundtrack music was completely synthesizer, right? And after that too, yeah. but um, I so I just watched Assault on Precinct Thirteen the other day for the first time, right, and it was on a DVD, of course. And the one special feature, well, the two special features on the DVD were the trailer and then mm. like a really rough, roughly uh, recorded interview from like 2002 with John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. where We were just talking about everything and he was talking, he got a question from the audience about uh, why he chose to just do kind of simplistic synthesizer music for a lot of his soundtracks. And he basically just said, because that's what I had. (laughs) Interesting. And he said that he would pick maybe like three or four themes or melodies in his soundtrack and then just kind of use those throughout the entire movie and like make slight changes. And that Mm -hmm. might sound simple, but honestly, if you look at a lot of soundtracks, they do the same exact thing. Yeah, right. For Mm sure. So it was really interesting. I didn't realize that Alan Howarth came along until, like, I was looking up a lot of uh, John Carpenter's filmography. And it's, uh, Mm -hmm. we'd go on Spotify and and look for the thing and it would be under Alan Howarth And I'm like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, So, yeah. It's really interesting to listen to, like, Dark Star, Assault on Precinct 13, Halloween soundtrack. Pre-Alan, yeah and then listen to some of his later stuff, even, like, um, like They Live is really different from... Very his di- yeah, too. definitely, definitely. It's a lot, like, it's a lot more subdued, and, like, They Live in particular, the soundtrack is kind of bluesy in a way, yeah. which is really interesting. And because it
2: matches the tone of the movie, yeah. in which it, it itself is, I don't know, it's such a... I want to say it doesn't feel like a Carpenter movie, because it definitely does, because it's, like, Escape from L.A. or, like, you know, mm-hmm. or New York, excuse me, and that type of feel, but it's a lot more, like it's a slow like pole pull- yeah it's kind
1: of- it starts off with um i can't remember the guy's name but the main character is a wrestler right yeah was, exactly who was famous in the 80s and he's just kind of like a wandering like bum, essentially. It, just, it reminds
2: me a fifty a fifty sci fi movie. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. so it doesn't necessarily remind me of a Carpenter. And he's kind of like
1: ends up in L A. There's a whole government conspiracy mixed yeah. with aliens. Yeah, exactly. Like, mm-hmm. So it's, it's it's and that's another thing from this interview I was watching from Assault on Precinct Thirteen. He, someone from the audience was asking him a question about um, why he doesn't have a lot of like jump scares and that kind of thing, and he's. His answer was basically that he his philosophy on life is more just about things just kind of happen. And as time passes on, you realize that things have happened without any type of really jarring events. Right, right. So a lot of his movies move that way, too. Like yeah. it starts off kind of slow. And then by the end, it's just. Turns into this really convoluted thing. There's no big moment where
2: everything changed. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Or most movies. There's some movies like that. Right. Yeah. So, so as that's hard to avoid. Yeah. And just for a move. Sorry.
0: No, no. So, uh, as somebody that's only seen two Carpenter movies, right? Which two? two? Probably the two most famous. So, Halloween and The Thing. Mm -hmm. Um. So, hearing what you guys are saying about like he's got a theme, he's got you know he's got this tone and all this stuff. Is it safe to say that most of his movies kind of feel the same as Halloween and the Thing, or is it something a little bit more subtle?
2: because uh, that's tough. Because then yeah. you have Escape from Little China, or yeah, and Matthew, Big Trouble in Little Big China, in little China yeah. and then Escape from New York, and then They Live. Because those are all like Escape. I mean, Big Trouble in Little China, They Live. I would categorize them in the same tone, I guess. Like I don't know. I
1: feel like Big Trouble is one of his more over the top movies.
2: But and when I was rewatching They Live, I was like, this is pretty over the top. Yeah, so you're like, right. But you're right. Something about Big Trouble, it's just more cartoony. Yeah. Right? And it's as a
1: movie, it just like brings in so many things. Like yeah. it's a comedy. It's an action. It's, it's a little bit of a horror movie.
2: So it's tough. Carpenter has a, st- a distinct style, definitely. Got it. Vis- but visual Visual style. Because yeah. you will see a Carpenter movie, if so, he knows how to use that like so that that aspect the, ratio. No, somewhere. no, no. That makes a lot of sense.
0: So then, so going back to the, the music then, you know, if he's got these movies that kind of on different little buckets right so like some of his horror films kind of have a very similar theme and you guys are saying some of his other films have a you know similar kind of theme or, or tone or tone mm-hmm. so would you say that the soundtracks for all of these films are kind of that like that too where you know his horror movies oh, have this very specific tone his i don't know i don't his action movies i don't know what his other types yeah of yeah are they he's like? done action movies yeah. and do they have like a Distinct, different type of style that yeah, fit really well. It's interesting.
1: Cause with uh with like Assault on Precinct 13 and Escape from New York. So Escape from New York, the theme is it's kind of like a mix between some of his horror soundtracks and like his more subdued, kind of bluesy stuff with They Live. Um and Escape from New York is it's a really interesting movie because it is an action sci-fi movie, but it's a slow burn mm-hmm. too. Like I remember the first time I watched that movie, I was like, "What? The, what's the deal with this fucking movie? It's boring as shit. <laughs> and even like some of the climactic points of that movie are like, they don't hit. And it, I think it goes back to him talking about his philosophy. is more just about like life is a sequence of like subdued events rather than like very jarring events. Um, And the more I watch that movie, and honestly, The Thing, and pretty much every single one of his movies, uh, the more you kind of appreciate how much thought is going into the filmmaking aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And to go back to what you're saying, his action movies definitely do have a little bit of a tone that's a little different from like Halloween, Mm -hmm. or I haven't seen In the Mouth of Madness or Prince of Darkness yet. I haven't seen Prince of Darkness. In
2: the Mouth of Madness is very different tone. Way. Yeah. Like, and, uh, yeah, it doesn't feel like, I mean, it does feel like a, I don't know, actually kind of similar to like, because I think it's around the same time, the Saltam Precinct. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's around the same time. So it just kind of has like, a similar like, bleak yeah. tone to it. Yeah. So it, Bleak is like, a very good mm, yeah. word for. Because the the Halloween response. has it, but it still feels like a slasher movie. Yeah. Right? But versus like, at the Mouth of Madness, it just has this bleak tone where it's like, almost hard to watch. Because yeah. and it has that very slow John Carpenter like build up like you're saying. Mm-hmm. There's something I want to say about that. About but you were saying about like his soundtrack being very subdued. He's been like I've watched a bunch of um, interviews recently about it. Like and he's talked about how when he approaches soundtracks, he approaches like he wants it to be like wallpaper. He wants it uh, to be uh, present, yeah, yeah. but not taking like your attention, right? right. And that That's kind of makes me think about what you're saying. Why he doesn't have jump scares. Yeah. And a lot of jump scares is because it's that. Rem- yeah. And then, then like, it, it's a lot of his audio, right? It's, uh-huh. like, his audio cues. And I think that's why he doesn't have it. Because he's like, no, that's not what my soundtrack's about. Yeah. Right? He, it doesn't take... The, it's not what's scaring you. It helps, but it's not what's, like, yeah. leading you there. Yeah. It's all about the visuals. When yeah. I was
1: rewatching Halloween this week, I was thinking more about, like, why don't a lot of soundtracks have vocals to them? And I think it is to Which be, is, like, yeah. wallpaper, right. essentially. Because some of the best movies out there just incorporate all of the different aspects of filmmaking to create this, like, perfectly executed vision. Right. And for a lot of John Carpenter's movies, the reason that it's so creepy is because, like you don't maybe notice the music coming up at first but yeah, man, it comes out of nowhere I think Halloween's a little different though because that's it's iconic like, you know, don- like, don- just just it stabs it yeah. stabs at you yeah. like you, like, oh, you know
0: I, I agree with what, what you're saying though because when you think of we were talking about the Thing soundtrack mm-hmm. and because I was listening on the way home the other day and the theme song is one giant swell it's like a heartbeat yeah that's what
1: it is it's a heartbeat
0: And then that's it. That's like the whole theme. But that says a lot about what that soundtrack is there to do. Because when you're watching it, it adds so much, just so much to that to all the scenes.
1: It's worth saying that that soundtrack was composed by Ennio Morricone, which is I
2: wanted to talk about because it's very interesting. Because you have this very well known composer who's done these amazing movies, westerns, exactly, and then he get your work with John Carpenter it's and it's limited. just a John Carpenter soundtrack. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. So I did a little bit of research and then apparently he did, he gave uh, um Ineo Maricone, Maricone, Maricone. Maricone, he gave him the rough cut of the film and it was like, and, he, and then so he created a soundtrack off of that and gave it to John Carpenter. It was like, do what you will with it and I'm like, i don't i don't really like you know use it oh he just it gave it the done. music back yeah uh, uh, after he saw a rough cut of the film and was just like all right here's here's what i got like use it make or make it done. fit Yeah, whatever." so him and alan howarth were uh, together and started building it and used it and like fit it into the movie. so it's actually impressive when you hear it like it sounds like yeah. someone actually watched a
0: movie and then you know yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. but it still had their take on it at the end of the day mm-hmm. because they piecemailed what was given to them. And a little fun
2: fact that uh, they end up using a lot of the unused soundtrack in Hateful Eight.
0: Yeah, I Uh, noticed
2: that. I I watched Hateful
1: Eight this, we're still in quarantine right now, but when the quarantine Mm -hmm. started, I remember watching Hateful Eight and being like,
0: this is from the fucking thing. Mm -hmm.
1: And realizing that Ennio Morricone did that soundtrack too. Yeah. So, Um,
0: So, actually, curious if you know the technical answer, but like, let's say when he gave the John Carpenter the, the the music back. I mean, is he is he getting a, a raw file of every I don't know input? So that if he wants to delete like the timpanies, he can delete that that'll or keep no, no. that I have keep no the keyboard idea. sounds. Or yeah, like, that's or way you, too tight. Or does he just get like a giant like compressed file that he kinda has to just cut? You know, like I, I would assume that it's all the raw files. I would assume as well. Right? well I have no idea because yeah. I feel
2: like that's what a sound designer is for right to get all that and to be like or a sound editor and be yeah. like because he right. might be like
0: I love the tempo in this but this fucking piccolo flute that's like twh, you know like like wailing in the background like maybe we could delete that so I'm assuming they would and I think that's why I
2: mean, usually like, you work with your composer like yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. that was such a odd thing because usually you're right there with them and you like, like, eh, cut that flute like, shit yeah. out <laughs> I, don't, I don't want that in there it's too, too happy get like, it fuck you asshole like,
1: What's funny about listening to the soundtrack to the thing, uh, or the thing that struck me the most was hearing a lot of the, like, uh, like horror organ parts in it, mm. like that you would hear in an old, like Vincent Price horror movie Yeah, or like yeah. And, or the 50s, um, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Or, yeah. Um... But yeah, those exist on the soundtrack and I don't think they were used for the actual movie because it is like, it has yeah. that wallpaper setting and maybe it isn't used in the movie and I just haven't noticed it because
2: it's been done so well. I would say when we rewatched it, I did notice there were a lot of operatic almost sections in it. Mm-hmm. So I wonder Uh-oh. if that's maybe the word drama because I was very surprised because like you're saying it's a very like mostly drawn, but there are some moments that sneak in there Yeah. like... Oh shit! Like, my
1: favorite one is when um, you have McCready and the two other guys. They go in the helicopter and they go back to the Norwegian site to to dig up the thing. And that's when they have that really slow build. And it's, it's all orchestra. Hmm. Um, and they're kind of going up like a, a chromatic scale almost. and It's a very slow rise. As the
0: helicopter's rising and right, going it's, over it's the mountains. It's when they're going,
1: they're already in the facility and they're going deeper into it until oh, they find that hole tight. in the ground. Mm-hmm. And then at that point it kind of cuts out. Tight. And there's this big cacophonous noise with, I think there's timpanis in it and everything. And, um, that reminded me a lot of shining actually, hmm. particularly the, the scene where Danny is going down the hall and then he comes to room two, three, six, because throughout that whole thing, there's this really spooky kind of like walking, uh, symphonic music that's going along to it. And then when he gets to room two, three, seven, you get these big timpanis and everything kind of just like the whole orchestra just loses it. Mm. And the same thing kind of happens in The Thing when they realize yeah. that there's this big hole in the ground and, uh, or no, they've, there's this block of ice that's been cut out and there's something in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And
2: that's when they that realize so shot. Shot. I don't know yeah. if that's supposed to be a reference to the original 50s because I haven't seen it fully. I've only seen clips on it on like, YouTube. But like the thing it's. It's a very cheesy, like, it, but it's, it's a, like, from what I've seen, it's pretty decent, like a fifties, like almost slasher monster movie. But like the thing is like a plant creature, mm-hmm. but like, it comes from like a block of ice. Yeah. And so I'm like, I don't know if that's like them, it, like, you know, um, John Carpenter, like give me a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, ah, yeah. oh, this could be connected to the fifties one. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: which is also based on who goes there. Right. Like, short, a, story. short story,
2: which I've heard is closer to John Carpenter's, uh. Um, rendition than the
0: original 50s one yeah. did uh did they film it in Antarctica I don't know actually no it, it or was it just like up in like Sweden it was, it was, you know, no like I think it was film. in um
2: it was Canada I'm pretty sure oh really uh, okay, um, yeah. fuck I can't think of it but yeah, yeah, yeah but I'm pretty sure it was somewhere some, up, some Arctic area yeah, northwest of, territory of, mm-hmm. or something got it, got
0: it. Yeah. yeah I was gonna say I mean as much of a budget as I would think Hollywood has like I don't think it's feasible to go all the way to Antarctica yeah. and take all film crew you know there's just not enough resources fucking impossible tax reasons i don't even know if like how and yeah, yeah if you can know. who the fuck like, lives down there you know? <laughs> just read a bunch oh, of research scientists. stations yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah i still like you were saying earlier it was just like now we're we were thinking about john carper movies and all that stuff and there's just something about that movie man the thing is that it is it's, 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 it's the so perfect storm good. for him yeah. i think
2: <laughs>
1: i agree and everybody i mean as a bystander just watching the movie it pulls me in and it affects me the most more than in mo- more than most movies mm. just period uh it's definitely one of my favorite movies i remember the first time i watched it i was in fifth grade uh i was 10 years old it scared the shit out of me mm. and i was living in texas at the time and i remember we were supposed to have a snow day i watched it <laughs> um, the night before the supposed snow day because my dad was like oh if it's gonna snow here we should watch the thing <laughs> and uh, scared the shit out of me and I woke up the next day and it was fifty degrees and sunny. But that's Texas for you right there. Mm. Um, the thing has affected me more than most movies have, just across the board because every part of it is perfectly executed for me.
0: No, I, 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 I would tend to agree you know there's and I'm more of a layman in terms of like my film interests and my my music interests, but there's something about the thing where, like you said, no matter what part of the movie's on, who's watching it, you just kind of kind of yeah. have to peek yeah. around the corner and be like, gosh, shit, what part are they on? Because it just sucks you in. Yeah. And I think you can't going be back passive. to this. Yeah, you can't be passive with that movie. And, I, and And going back to the theme of what we're talking about with this podcast, I think the soundtrack has such a huge part to do with that. Because when it's visually slow, the music tends to have a very a strong purpose and it's mm-hmm. like whether it's just a big swell or maybe it's dying down or I think there's a couple scenes in the film where there's not really music and there's really not much going on but it's a perfect spot like uh, I forget I don't know any the characters names but there's that one spot where you know some of them are in the little cabin and then some of them are, are holed up in, in like the main center mm-hmm. and the cameras just shot and all you hear is the wind just like <laughs> and all you hear is a howling wind and it's, and the shot is just of snow and a building that like looks like it's being you know run down yeah. and uh it's, besides a few of those moments but even then those are all so um,
1: and it gives that purposeful. like sense of despair yeah like they're truly
2: alone down
0: there. yeah yeah exactly and there's and
1: nothing for thousands of miles
2: so I don't want to get too off topic but that does remind like why I love Krampus. Like that, uh, the, the Christmas horror credits? movies. The sound design of that movie is incredible because it's very much the thing, so, like a sound design. There's just wind just blowing, like it just makes you feel like they're just trapped and they're fucked. Like, and then when she's crazy. outside and she's running away from the cran, like the the sound design that is so fucking good Cause yeah. you hear the hoofs just like stomping on the snow on the roofs and on the roof. Oh my god. The roofs, they got really like Boston. <laughs> no, uh, roofs.
0: That's really interesting because the little that I remember from the movie, because it was great, but just, I just don't remember too much from it. But it, it totally gave you that vibe where you were alone. But the coolest part was they're in the suburbs, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. they're in the suburbs, but all of a sudden, like this thing happens and Crump Crumpus or whatever is, Trumpus is there and he's, he's, you know, <laughs> 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 he's wreaking havoc. But, uh, but yeah, it makes you feel alone. Like they're out in the street. And there's like that one scene. Where she's like under the car or whatever and Such stuff. A and you're like, you feel alone. But you're like, wait a minute. Are they just like and, four doors down from their home? And like you see? rewatch
2: it. A lot yeah. of it's the sound. It's just the wind. It's yeah. just relentless, and mm-hmm. it really affects you. And, and that's why, like you're saying. But the thing, it, that's why it's so effective. Yeah. Like those yeah. moments of silence. It's just like, which is it edges that, in.
0: Going back to about the howling wind thing, is really cool to think about because. When you're in those moments where maybe you're skiing or you're hiking up in the mountains and it's really cold, and frigid, and you have the wind that's just relentless, it really does make. Because you could have your best friend next to you, you can have your wife next to you, you're only a mile from your mm-hmm. car, just that. But that howling wind, like I think the noise yeah. and the unpredictable like weight of the wind, yeah, you put that together and it just it's sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like there's nothing else to put it. Like when I was in the navy, being out at sea. The closest thing I can think of howling wind is like the waves. And I think really mm-hmm. bad waves and really and how howling winds, I think are, are two just things where it's completely out of your control. You're in the element. There's nothing you can do except suck it up, I guess. <laughs> I don't know.
1: So with that in mind, have you ever seen the fog? Have no, I haven't off? seen it yet on my I list. Okay. Yeah. so I just wait, wait, that's the not Fog.
2: The Mist, right? No, 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 The Mist. <laughs> <not is laughs> the...
0: Wait, hold on. That's a great movie, though. The Mist? <laughs> yeah. I yeah. think, the... like, in a grocery store or something? Yeah. Yes. I haven't seen that either. I just thought that it was a. That's yeah, a it, King well, it's a
1: misconception for sure because when I first heard of The Fog, I was like, is this the original The Mist? But anyway, so The Fog was the first Carpenter movie after Halloween and right before Escape from New York. And uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is in it and everything. Right. Mm-hmm. Her role is very different than it is in Halloween. <laughs> she's definitely pretty innocent in Halloween. But she does become the hero of the movie too. And she grows up a lot throughout the span of Is like, it as drastic
0: as Sigourney Weaver in Alien 1 and 2? <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Really? Because oh, okay.
1: basically her character, Jamie Lee Curtis's character in The Fog, mm-hmm. is she's a hitchhiker. You find out that she comes from a wealthy family from Pasadena. And the film takes place up around here in, in uh, Northern California on a coastal town. And she just gets picked up by this guy and at midnight. And basically the premise of The Fog is it takes place in 1980. And then in 1880, there was a ship that... Um, oh man, I'm trying to remember the details. But basically, this ship crash-landed, I think, near this town. And... All of its inhabitants died. And so 100 years later, in 1980, they come back to haunt this town. And they have this hour from midnight to 1 a.m. where they can actually come out and haunt the townspeople. And the scariest part of this movie is that um, because it's in Northern California in a coastal town, you can basically see the fog coming in over the water. So there, in, there's the waves aspect and listening to the water, but then there's also the visual aspect of seeing this fog that actually glows. Yeah. Um, and that's what sets off... Uh, one of the protagonists in this movie is actually a radio personality who broadcasts from a lighthouse. So she sees hmm. this fog rolling in and it's glowing and she's on there, She's And she's talking about she, she sees this glowing fog coming towards the city. And eventually you learn that it's these fucking ghosts coming to get revenge and kill six people in this town. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like,
0: I got to watch that.
1: Yeah, because every single one of Carpenter's movies, too, he kind of, like, chooses a different type of, like, foe to really mm-hmm. be the antagonist of the movie. In the, in the Fog, it's this kind of, like, very looming, like, slow burning like inevitable thing mm. which honestly can be said of a lot of the antagonists of his movies but <laughs> true. Um, yeah it's all very different and one of my favorite things about john carpenter is how versatile he is too because mm. every single movie, one of his movies is very different that's like,
2: especially very true and i don't know if it's like horror movie directors or just like direct like i don't know him uh george romero or romero mm-hmm. and like um this is a guy who did, like, Suspiria. I can't think of his name right now. Oh, yeah, yeah, Argento? Uh, um, Argento, yeah. Dario Argento. They all have, like, very similar career paths where they're, like, from, like, when they're in their prime, they just made absolute amazing movies and then as soon as they fall off they fall so hard <laughs> it's like John Carpenter from like 80 to like 99 it's just like yeah. fucking incredible Dario yeah. Argento from 80 to like 99 exactly <laughs> Dario Argento 80 and 99 amazing awful and then freaking George R. R. Martin was, uh, or not George R.R. Martin <laughs> George Romero I <laughs> mean oh, yeah, him too kind of <laughs> yeah. George Romero it's like he did all the Walking Dead uh, not the Walking Dead all the, the, um, the Dead Trilogy, the dead yeah, trilogy yeah. and then he did Diary of the Dead and like they Ooh. Oh, not they, the, what's it Land the land of the dead and those are all bad it's just like it's really interesting like they all like do so well for like two decades and they just like eventually they just nosedive
0: so so that's a really good segue because we're uh, looking at we just passed 45 minutes so uh, it's a great segue so why don't we talk about um, what we're trying to do for subsequent episodes right so I think the discussion that we had was I think week by week we alternate so I think the challenge would be Um, you know, Zach would recommend, he would basically say, Hey, I've got this awesome metal album by this person. Boom. Stez, your, your, uh, your task for the week is try to find a, a horror film that fits it as best as you, you can find it or whatever. And then next week we flip flop and Stez gets to find a a great horror movie or maybe not so great horror movie and, and challenge Zach on uh on finding a metal album that that fits that as as well as uh he sees fit so um i'm curious what do you guys want to do do you guys have any movies or 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 uh albums that you've already kind of had on the top of your head that you want to just kind of get it going or discuss a little bit and, and and see where we go we could always do a john carpenter I all mean, right i already got um, an easy one on top of my head yeah there's one i've always liked. really okay
2: You i me to say it yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's Sam Raimi's Evil Dead 2. Oh fuck yeah! Because <laughs> the soundtrack of that, I feel like could have been way better. Oh, yeah. that's cool. It's that's one of those. Mo- it's one of those movies where I'm like, the soundtrack is the weakest part of it. Like, it, oh, it's got a good yeah. sound design, especially like, though, like the movie camera. Say
1: the soundtrack
2: is so good. I I disagree. I'm like, and I'm like, I can't th- like when I think of the soundtrack of Evil Dead, I don't think yeah. of the soundtrack. I think of and the whooshing of when the camera swoops in, yeah. right? And like, I don't think of like, like I don't know. When I think of John Carpenter movies, you think. You know, you hear Halloween, so, you hear The Thing, but you don't hear Evil Dead. No, yeah, that's yeah. tight.
0: Um, so sounds like Zach's already familiar with it, so definitely i got to watch it this week. Um, I, that's also Evil my Day favorite movie,
2: right? Like, Evil Dead 2? 2, two okay. specifically. So, I mean, 1 and 2 are almost the same movie. Can you right?
0: give a little background on, on, on what that film is and who made it and just, just give a good... Evil break. Dead 2 is the sequel to Evil Dead,
2: directed <laughs> by Sam Raimi. sounds sounds specific- whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, stop.
0: Has there ever been a film where there's a number... But it's not a sequel to anything like something so. something three, yeah. but it's yeah. like the uh, first one. So, Hot Tub
2: Time Machine, the second movie, they wanted to be called Hot Tub Time Machine Three <laughs> The Search for Hot Tub Time Machine Two. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then, uh, this crappy horror movie by Troma, I believe, called Things Killing, took the idea called Things Killing Three The Search for Things Killing Two. Uh, so, and it was done terrible you saw yeah don't yeah, watch this don't watch the sequel it's even worse okay they have a rapping grandma in <laughs> all right sorry, sorry sorry oh god <laughs> so, so evil Dead too uh yeah so it's a sequel to evil dead but it's not really a sequel because it's almost like a remake in my interpretation the way i see it like each evil dead is its own universe how far are the films apart like a couple of, like years couple of like, years like, well, only a couple of years i believe it's it's like 84 yeah. 87 or like yeah. that 85 something 87 like something that. like
0: that and this is sam raimi the spider-man sam yeah yep, this sam. is before
2: so there's actually a shot in spider-man when he gets hit and then the camera follows him it's a direct uh, shot from evil dead where yeah. uh, bruce campbell gets hit by the whatever thing and like he gets fly- flown back into the tree it's it's like a callback to that or just Sam Raimi, like I've style, but being They're lazy, <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, yeah. So it's a sequel, but kind of a remake. Like I said, in my opinion, it's, it's kind of like uh, El Mariachi and Desperado. Yeah, things. very, very similar. Yeah, 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 where it's like a more fleshed out and then but kind of a different tone because this one's you got more comedic more money behind this one <laughs> that's exactly what it is it's just they have a lot more a lot more money uh, they went a little bit more comedic to it too and what's the plot like what, what the guy gets it? trapped into cabin evil shit's there he, he's supposed to he yeah. reached all of his movies about ca- ca- well this is like the <laughs> quintessential this is the quintessential like cabin in the woods movie. Oh, Like yeah. this is the one everyone is trying to copy because it's yeah. like they go in the basement, find the thing, they read the things from the book that they're not supposed uh, to read, and then like the, the zombies come up and yeah, attack them, yeah, yeah. and then tree comes up and rape them, and all that. Tight. Fun. All right. Have, is, good, uh, have, a, have, a, have a good luck finding wait. a good album, yeah. which is what you know. One of my areas over from the first to second movie, the tree rape scene. Which mm-hmm. Yeah. Fine.
1: So the thing that I immediately think of from Evil Dead Two is always the very end, where there's kind of a resolution, and then. Um, Bruce Campbell gets, like, sucked back in. Mm-hmm. And then that immediately leads into Army of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that was so great that um, they didn't really have a resolution to yeah. that Dead 2. They, I mean, some people might say they're setting up for a sequel to that movie, but... Even if there was no sequel to Evil Dead 2, I think that would be the perfect fucking ending.
2: That's what, yeah, exactly. That's why I love it, because it's just like, oh fuck, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't win at the end. Like, it's just like such a fucking moment. And that's why, like, I really do feel like each movie kind of is its own. Like, you could take each one is its own universe. And, like, this happens in this one universe. This happens in this one universe. And Army of Darkness is just like a super yeah. wacky, like, not so even a horror.
1: Far removed from Evil Dead mm. and Evil Dead Two.
2: And then there's Ash versus Evil, which is the TV show. Yes. Which is Amazing. If you haven't
0: seen it. So I don't want to. I don't want to get too into it already, but it sounds like you've already seen the movie. Mm. So do you kind of already have a? I don't know a style of metal yeah, that already you're like, all of. right, dude, totally this genre of metal or I don't know, so, what are you thinking?" I'm thinking oh, man, it's it's because
1: Evil Dead 2 is one of those movies. It's, it's almost like Big Trouble in Little China where it like takes so many thematic mm-hmm. styles and puts it into one thing because Evil Dead 2 is is really like slapstick and there's comedy to it as mm-hmm. well. So I'm just thinking of shit like Mutoid Man, like Oozing Wound. This is like more recent metal stuff where yeah. it like incorporates That's thrash, fine. right? Like sludge and like a lot of different styles melded into one thing, but also something that doesn't take itself too seriously, um, which a lot of metal does. Yeah, yeah, a lot for of sure. Movies yeah, do too, um, which isn't a bad thing. I love like you know super serious yeah, heavy shit, but. I'm glad that you chose Evil Dead too because this is going to be really fun to think of something. What for cool it.
2: man! I will say it is cheating because the way someone described that movie to me was, "Dude, that movie is so metal." <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> <laughs> so it
0: is kind of cheating, but I figured that'd be appropriate. Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, I think we have a, a great um, Stepping Off Point for uh, Stefan Off Point. A Stepping Off Point. <laughs> For uh, our next episode. So super stoked to talk about Evil Ed 2. And then whatever album Zach is going to f- pair it with. So uh, hopefully like, at least a couple days before we meet next time. Zach will <laughs> give us the album rec. So I'll we can at least to listen predict- to it. Procrastinate. Yeah, try to procrastinate until like two hours before we record. So that I don't know. That would be an interesting or... experiment,
1: actually. If... Mm. I'm not saying we should know. do it.
0: But... But to hear it like right, re- yeah, I mean, relatively we close to when like we do it
1: once over, like we could all watch the movie and have that in mind for the week, and then I give you an album two hours <laughs> before we do this. <laughs> that would be kind of so cool, so it'd be like a knee jerk reaction. But I think for this first one, yeah, we should. We should give it some time. Yeah, I'm just, We're
0: just imagining... We're
2: like eating dinner. Austin's in the corner just, like, listening. To something. <laughs> so, i just... Knowing my just, schedule... just, like, pulling up your phone. Yeah, yeah. Like, it would be Austin, great, though. fuck. Don't listen to it on your phone. <laughs> I on mean, your fucking phone. Have you seen that David Lynch interview? <laughs> to be oh, fair,
0: though... i I'm sure I'm going to listen to a lot of stuff on my commute back and forth. I'm going to try not to. I'm really going to try to actually sit down and watch the movie and listen to the soundtrack. So, that's why I... I I plead that if you could give as much heads up of what you find, sure. the better, just because it gives me more time to do it. But, uh, not, uh, but even though too, I'll try to watch it before, before then. Um, do that
1: as soon as possible. Cause that movie's
0: awesome for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, Mary it loves, uh, Mary loves horror movies. So I think we'll just try to squeeze that in, um, in the next few days and, and, and watch. And at some point, as, as my little plug for our shitty little podcast, um, if there's any way between the buried and me gets paired with an <laughs> album or with a film, I will be very happy. You know what? Maybe because those guys are amazing. Maybe we
1: should have a week where you pick a Between the Buried and Me album, and then we can collaborate on what horror movie it can. Dude, be. I already like.
0: I mean, if you're a BT Bam fan, like Colors is Colors is yeah. like the yeah, album. That's, that's my favorite. But because it's it's so good, and it's already like. I just feel like there's already a lot of probably discussion about it and stuff because it's very thematic, um, so yeah, Great Misdirect, Alaska. I think there's there's a lot that would yeah, but colors
1: colors is, I mean, it is very thematic. So yeah, it it would be a fun one, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: it would fit well we'll with
1: a movie probably.
0: Uh, Any any parting words?
1: Thank you guys for being here for this. Yeah. Not only Stez and Austin, but mm-hmm. anyone who's fucking listening to this shit right now. Whoever the fuck that might be. And, thanks, um. Mom. <laughs> yeah, thanks, immediate friends. <laughs> and
0: uh, and thanks again to our sponsor uh, Mexican beer and scotch. Mexican beer and scotch.
1: Cheers.
2: Or Sponsored or by. The Spot. Quarantine. Cheers.